Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. In this episode, you'll get to know TriMet bus operator Dan Christensen. Known as Bus Driver Dan to his many Twitter followers, Dan is more than just a bus driver. He's a storyteller, a community builder, and in my opinion, he is a big part of what makes Portland so special. And from his seat behind the windshield, watching what he calls Portland on the big screen, he has seen an awful lot since he started driving for TriMet 16 years ago. I wanted to talk with Dan, not just because of what he's seen on his bus over the years, but for how he sees it. In this interview, he shares stories from his bus and what they mean to him and why he thinks transit is so much more than just a way to get from point A to point B. We also talk about whether TriMet's bad reputation has gotten to him, uh, how he drives around bike riders, why he still remembers the name of his first school bus driver, why he only counts some of the thank yous he gets from his riders, and much more. If you love transit, actually, if you love Portland, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Here's our conversation. Dan Christensen, thank you so much for coming by and on short notice. It's great to have you here. My pleasure. As I was looking uh, to do a little bit of background before you came over, you started driving a bus right around when I started doing Bike Portland. Mm -hmm. You also did a blog. Mm -hmm. You did podcast. I feel like we've had Done. these similar things. We've yeah, done. yeah, for sure. Yeah, 2006 is when I started driving the bus. And in the next year, I started my blog. I was telling uh, Taylor about about you, and I said, "Yeah, it's funny if you if you click on the Dan Christensen name on the Bike Portland archives, you see some some fun stories over the years uh, yeah. that we've had." But um, yeah. I want I want to talk about some of that stuff, not those things specifically, but just you know, I really had you come over because I just think you kind of have an interesting perch on Portland, sitting in that bus seat, especially given the changes you've seen over the years. Obviously, lots yeah. of changes in the city, but before we get to some of that stuff, um, as a question I like to ask, I think almost everybody I've interviewed, which is kind of like, what's your personal relationship to like mobility and like how you've moved around, you know, like through your life? Well, I can tell you that my mobility started with bikes. Like I can remember one of the, the biggest day of my early life was when, you know, I learned to ride a bike and my dad took me right down with my whole family. We went down, bought a bike. And that was a great thing to get around the neighborhood. And, you know, then my mom was like, okay, we got to set out this parameters where you can go. Oh, really? Where you was know, that? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up on 46th and Ainsworth. So a Portlander. Yeah. Grew up as a Portland. 46th yeah. and Ainsworth. Yeah. It was not part of Portland at that time. It was outside Ooh, of portland so did you have some fun gravel streets to rip around on? oh was i like? lived on a fun gravel street we had uh a main street ainsworth and then 46 that ran down the side of our house was gravel and then across the street between simpson and ainsworth there was this unimproved it wasn't even gravel it was dirt and so it was just wild and all the kids played there Oh, was, everyone so called it the Western Hills and like the whole neighborhood went there to play. That sounds so nice having a place in there. And I still, and that part of town is sort of still like that in a way. I mean, Coley is known for their big lots and sort of like, to me, it looks like a bunch of urban farms and it yeah. starts around 40, or 42nd, east of 42nd. I feel like it's kind of like that, but yeah, sounds yes, like a good yes, because it was outside of Portland, there was a lot of, it was strange because it had this weird mix of commercial 
and uh, residential and industrial, small industry. Uh, it was a weird mix, but I loved it because you were connected with everything, mm. right? It wasn't over there is where these people are and over there is where those people were. This is all ours right here. So mm. it was a very different neighborhood. Yeah. And did you did you end up taking the bus uh, to high school or to school? Or what was yeah. your first experience taking the bus? Oh, uh, I went to Kennedy grade school. And my first, uh, uh, as in the Kennedy school, the Kennedy school, that's now a bar and theater (laughs) and everything. In fact, if you go in the back there, uh, go out the back towards the parking lot there on the wall is a, uh, class picture. I'm in the lower right-hand side with the big head. I love it. I think my so, head was the same size in third grade. Okay, to help folks understand what what year, what era was this, you know? 72, 73. So you're going to Kennedy School. Yep. And so I had to take a I had to take a bus there. And uh, I even know uh, my bus driver was named Mrs. Yost. Everyone in the neighborhood knows that bus driver. She was fantastic. And if you were really good all week, she would turn off of Killingsworth two blocks early to go down the gravel roads and throw us all over the bus. We would bounce around and it was great. And so everybody's like, be good, be good, be good. Friday's coming. Friday's coming. That was, and, all, that was the, all the, the, all, all you wanted was just like to get bounced around in the bus. Yeah. Life was so simple. Like <laughs> that was the best was so thing. Exciting for you. My kids it. are like, what's up? the internet and i was like go down the rocky roads <laughs> yeah that's so funny so i mean hearing that it's not it's not too surprising that you had a good impression of what it would be like to be a bus driver yeah uh, you know uh is that is that enough to say about that or was there something about kind of like how did you end up you know working at trimet or was that your first bus driving job yeah, it was. my. That was my first bus driving job. I'd worked in, I worked at a big bank that was prominent in the problems of 2006 to 2008. Enough and, said. Yeah. And so that was driving me nuts mm. to be sitting there and to be told, hey, you have to be a good guy. Uh, you have to be, you know, above reproach, blah, blah, blah. And the guy telling me is, you know, the next week in front of Congress. So uh, there were two drivers I met. One was my brother. My brother, David, said, hey, why don't you become a bus driver? And I went, nah, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm doing really good at banking, blah, blah, blah. And then I noticed that every uh, night I got off at Willow Creek to take the train home, uh, there was a bus driver and she was juggling these glow-in-the-dark balls and just relaxing on her break and laughing. Everybody was interacting with her. Everybody was having fun. And I went, I want that job. I want a job where on my breaks or I walk out, it's, it's done. And uh, she just retired at 47 years, a bus driver. Wow. Real amazing. I even gave her a big hug the other day. And... Uh, yeah, just totally amazing. She just represents everything good about bus driving. I love it. But in that in that perch up there on that seat, you know, staring out that window for these 16 years of like obviously tremendous changes. Boy, I just wonder if you can reflect on that for a bit here. Like what are some of the things that pop into your head when you think about sort of the arc of change from when you started driving to now? And I'll, I'll help focus you because I know there's got to be a lot there. But 
Is there something that pops in, you know, well, the most? Uh, first, I would say I always laugh and I call it having uh, the Portland channel on the big screen. I love that. Right. Yeah. Because you're literally sitting there. <laughs> it's, wa- you only got one channel. It's right? like binge watching Portland reality TV, <laughs> yeah, right? For like, 16 years. For 16 wow, years. This channel hasn't changed much. I mean, let me let me help. I realize that was kind of a too broad of a question. So you got into being a bus driver in part, it's it sounds like, because you wanted to sort of change in your life, right? Yeah. So how has being a bus driver changed you? Well, it's first of all, I learned more about the city than I ever thought I knew. Having mm-hmm. grown up here, I've, I've lived other places for brief times, a year, two years or whatever. But having been a uh, bus driver here, you learn far more about Portland than you ever thought you'd know. Neighborhoods you've never been to, people you didn't even know lived here. You have a lot of learning to do about mm-hmm. just your own city and you never knew it. So that's been one of the fun things is all of a sudden I know all these little nooks and crannies of the city that I didn't have a clue existed before. Even after the couple of years and I uh, first talked with you, I was still learning, mm. still learning. And that hasn't stopped. You know, I'm always learning. And that's kind of a fun part of being a bus driver. And you're open to it. It's something that you like embrace. Yeah, yeah. The learning part. I mean, you could... You could just, you know, you could close it out and just do your job. Right. And I, I think that there are drivers who do that to survive. Coping mechanism uh, kind cope, of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my coping mechanism is engaging. That's how I feel better. That's so interesting. You, to you, the job is to embrace it, not to shut it out. Yeah. Do you mind if I read a little uh, thing you wrote the other day on Twitter? One oh, story. Gosh. Go ahead. I love the little stories you tell. On Twitter, I think it goes just with what you were saying. You you wrote this. Meeting people where they are is not just a growing buzz phrase. It's an essential tool. A writer in tears admitted she missed the hospital stop because her father was in his last hours and she was afraid. A lady on the bus, I call Mrs. Flower, came over and embraced her, then asked, Is it okay if we say a prayer for you? At the far end of my run with time to spare... I secured the bus and joined the others crowding around. Mrs. Flowers said a wonderful prayer. She empowered others with what she learned firsthand about grief. After, Mrs. Flowers held her hand until we returned to the hospital and then gave her a hug before she got off the bus. She thanked everyone. Understanding what people need and doing your best to meet them there, that makes you a better driver. Yeah. And see, the the hero there is Miss Flowers. Mm. A lot of people said, you know, that that was not about me. It was what I observed. And I, you know, I used to say I'm a good storyteller. I think I'm an okay storyteller, but I'm really an observer. So this is something I observed. And the person who stepped out of her comfort zone to come over and say, hey, do you need help? Can I say a prayer for you? Of course, I'm trimming it down a little bit to fit on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. That person was reaching out to her. I supported that, but it was her. She was the hero of that story. To do that for another person you didn't even know, uh, that was my hero. How do you feel like your role as a bus driver impacted that that story, that situation? I think 
people were surprised. I, I think uh, uh, a lot of bus drivers try to keep that emotional distance, and I don't fault them. That is a defensive mechanism. But, uh, you know, I, I learned from people like this, Miss Flowers, that you got to have the courage to step out. You got to say, even if it's a mistake, even if it's wrong, you know, there's been times when I saw someone on the side of the street and I stopped the bus and checked on them and they screamed at me. One threw a half eaten can of beans at me, but I'm like, "Ah, I'm still going to do it. You know, if I see somebody in need, I'm still going to do something. I don't know what, but I'll see. I'll, I'll make in some effort. Um, she made the effort and I, my job I felt was supporting her is saying, yeah, when I got up about half the bus got up and joined her. And when I got out of my seat, the other half joined him. And the one guy says, I'm an atheist. And he was crying as much as the rest of us were right. Uh, because it wasn't about us. It was about me as a driver. It was about, it was about those two and their moment and what it meant to that lady was phenomenal you also sort of believe that there's something about the bus itself and the act of taking transit right that that maybe connects people or is maybe uh important or special in and of itself am am i reaching there i mean you you wrote something on twitter that you you know you said this quote that really stood out to me when you said transit is all of us so yeah can you connect the dot between that story and this idea that somehow transit itself the, the space of the bus is somehow important in that yeah it's it's something that's been brewing in my mind and a lot of people will say well you know transit is only like 10 percent of the population or whatever number they throw out and i'm like but what that doesn't tell the story because it's 10 percent now but of young people it's like 90 percent i don't know anybody who grew up in portland that didn't take the bus at one time regularly and a lot of it is the rest of the uh, a lot of older people who can't drive anymore or who have epilepsy or who have some sort of uh, uh, disability to them it's 90 percent is the bus and then the rest of us is like maybe in the snow and stuff so it's you're passing through the bus at different times at different speeds you know in your life and, and it's different for everyone, but it touches everyone, right? It, 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 it somehow touches everyone. Even if you're just never rode a bus, there's somebody riding a bus to your job. That, so it is this, commu- this micro community in the bigger community. And it has its own rules. It has its own way. Like things people do on the bus, they don't do uh, just standing on the street or walking by each other. So there's there's all sorts of things. Like one of, uh, this is just one element of it. I, I don't have a good answer for you. It's just this feeling that I've been dealing with that I've noticed this is the story of, of transit. It's this sort of micro community that is emergent order. People have developed this how we behave on the bus, what we do on the bus on their own. There's no one saying, Hey, you you know, there are a few things like, you know, give up your seat or whatever, but there's a lot of it happens when you don't even know as even as a driver, you'll all of a sudden you see five guys get up and help somebody unload something from the bus. And you know, you don't know. Hmm. 
Uh, but that happens. So I'm, I'm working on that. It's a process. I wonder, though, if it, if it weighs on you or how you think about the fact that just what you were saying, how people order themselves on the bus, how people act on the bus, what that space is like, if it weighs on you that that has that that has changed a lot that a lot of people listening to this are thinking the pictures that are coming to their mind might not be like a great story like the one that you shared like a coming together it might be mm, mm. less positive let's say with uh maybe people that they don't feel comfortable around or stories they've seen in the newspaper about uh some bad interaction on the bus i mean you certainly know that the reputation of that space of transit itself has been not had a super great go especially these last few years i just wonder if that does that matter to you or how does that weigh in your mind that doesn't matter to me at all i try the best i can and i've been assaulted i've had problems Mm -hmm. but there's so much to unpack there because it's it's a simple and easy question to ask but there's a lot of layers to it because uh first of all humans are negatively biased we're built with that in us. Meaning that we want to focus on negative things more? Absolutely, right? You know, plane lands safely, news at 11. Never hear that, right? <laughs> right That's right. an old joke. Uh, you know, the the person that said, there's no lions between here and the waterhole, they got eight. Yeah. So the, the, neg- the negative lessons were ways other people could learn. And so we tend to focus on that quickly. And the, uh, uh, I think you've seen that in the biking. People tend to focus on negative things about the cycling world. Oh, that bike cut me off or he ran that light or whatever. And that becomes the issue, the story. Mm-hmm. But I, I think uh, social media helps accelerate that. So no one asks the real question, which is how violent is our society? And it, you know, the bus has a slice of society on it. So if there's violence in society, there'll be violence in transit. So is transit dangerous? Well, the old economic uh, professor's question, compared to what? Mm. Right? Is it compared to just walking down the street? Or if you're around 300 people on the bus, are you safer than around 300 people? Just random people, you know, standing around a 7-Eleven at night. You might have 300 people. You might have a bad encounter. So it's, it's, it's hard to extract what's really going on. It's easy to grab a headline. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy if you're one of the people on the internet going, oh, oh, this is always happening all the time. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, I talk to drivers who are assaulted and, and, and no one likes that. No one wants that. Everyone wants to stop that, but, uh, it's not the defining quality of transit on, and people on transit. As you're, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about that idea that transit is all of us And it reminds me of the way I've been thinking about Portland in general as I hear these, like everything you just said, I I, I agree with in terms of the things that people really just grab into and want to talk about. And I'm always thinking like Portland is all of us. So if you're going to if you're going to really push this narrative that Portland's terrible and you shouldn't leave your house, like, do you also realize that we all live here, too, and we have to live in that? So wouldn't you want to try to 
maybe not focus on the terrible things all the time, not to discount them or act like they don't happen. Right. But I just wonder is, you know, if you feel that same way too, and maybe is that why you like to share, you know, I feel like you're kind of a, you're, you're a relatively optimistic guy. And right. I find that you're sharing these, these really beautiful stories online. Do you, is that part of it to try to at least well, infuse the narrative with something more beautiful or more positive than what people are usually getting? Let me think about that for a second. I think that that's a, that's a good question. And I would say this, most of, I, I have a name for like the people on Twitter. I call them hose pipes. Hose the ne- pipes. The negative, <laughs> they just blow out of a hose. Like anytime something negative happens, they're ready to jump on board. And it's, you. It, a lot of times you can see the same people saying the same thing and you're like, what? Uh, but, so there's two parts. I observe this negative thing happening, and this is what I'm saying is a cure. Now, they may not be saying is a cure. They may be saying we need to, you know, they're professing it in a way of this is all one thing. Mm. Uh, but you got to saw these in half. Observation and solution. Uh, no city has ever been made better by people withdrawing. So it gets to a point where you're just reiterating this this avalanche of negative and it's that's never going to fix a city people aren't going to get city by uh, get fix a city by panic do you think some of your driver colleagues have uh withdrawn or stopped driving because of some of this negativity or how have you you've you've stuck around everybody knows that trimet has had a driver shortage have have you had friends that have left because they were sort of done dealing with that and didn't want to stick around i think it's I don't know many people that have left just because of that. Mm. It's usually a lot. Now, they there could be. Uh, I find that people who've been disconnected from driving uh, for maybe a decade are far more negative about what's going on than the drivers I know who are actually doing it. Interesting. And which, which, which to me would give validity to the idea that I always think of like, it's not as bad if the people that are actually out there, it's just like you said, that it really frustrated me during a lot of this negativity because I was out biking around downtown or something. And of course it wasn't what it was. And of course it had changed, but it was never as bad as you would think if you just read the headlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, downtown wasn't on fire in a perpetual war zone. It was right, actually right. fine. People were still eating lunch on the sidewalk and everything. So yeah. I feel like you're- it has changed. Uh, and there are some negative things. But it's not a uh, it's it's not a throw in the towel the rat you know it's over yeah you know and and I think there's a lot of people who hear this in the news and there's always like muckrakers in the news who just jump on they might have national platform they hear Portland you know it's yeah. burning from one end to the other right yeah. Right. There's there's somewhere in the middle where we can rationally look at problems mm. and, and start to solve them and and admit these are issues we need to look at, even if it makes some people uncomfortable. Uh, and uh, we need to look at them, even though some people are saying, you know, throw in the towel, the city's on fire. I try to tell the story of transit, the story of bus drivers, the story of train drivers, the story of, uh, and that story isn't just the negative things that's going on. It's the living things that are going on. Like that, 
the story that I was moved to tell that story. I thought about it a while and I have a policy about how long I wait before I write something. So I know where I'm at with this story. Um, I write those stories because they reflect a slice of life. A lot of drivers will drive the same routes I do and not have experiences that I have because my secret weapon is really observation. And I had uh, uh, last Christmas a guy get on my bus and he's, he has like three or four coats and a big sweater and uh, he's just, it's all dirty and he comes on and he's counting, you know, pennies out of a, a, a Ziploc bag and this little bitty dog sticks its nose out from under his coat and he reaches into his pocket and gives it a little nibble of something and the dog retreats back. And that was really amazing. Uh, I mean, this guy didn't want love, but as much as he wanted to be lovely, he's caring for this animal. He's the, the, the here's a person who's at the bottom end and yet he is caring and loving for someone. And that really touched me. That really, you know, I, I think a lot of drivers might not even seen that mm. might've been looking out the window. Um, I call that looking out the window, sort of a metaphor because they might look, be looking right at it and not see that and not, but that story that's in that person and what it means. And now that I've seen him a couple of times, I know that dog's under there. I see it moving all around. Uh, but uh, yeah. That also, so, see, that also seems like another vote for uh, the job of driving a, a TriMet bus is, is, is made better, not just more enjoyment, but maybe becoming a better driver. If you're open to those kind of things, like we were saying before, right. letting those things in is a way to actually like be a better bus driver. Like I, you said, the, there's somebody, uh, I can't, I can't remember who I read. It's a really good book on nonviolence. Mm. And he's, and he talks a lot about seeing the human in others. Oh, seeing the human first. Mm-hmm. And, it really matters. Okay, yeah. on, on that note, seeing humans first, being someone who uh, is all about observations, I, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to talk to you about bike riders you may or may not see on yeah. the road in front of you. Sure. Um, are there things that bike riders do that make your job harder, easier? Start with harder. Well, let's start with 15 years ago when biking was just booming. Like, it was more people coming to biking than ever. I think there was a, a, I saw a rift between what I call cyclists who were, oh, I, I don't want to use the term professional cyclists, but they were professional commuters, yeah. professional yeah. cyclists. No they paid attention. They had lights, they had helmets, they had, they did, you know, they, they took defensive action. They weren't worried as much about who has the right of way as is this safe. And then there was a whole bunch of new people who were just starting on that path. Ooh. Right? Right. So if there were problems, it wasn't like, this is a problem of all cyclists. It was a problem of these people are starting on this path. Where they're going to be driving and how they're going to be riding 10 years from now may not look like this. But they're starting, they're commuting, and they took more risks. And what it did is it sort of, uh, 
put the danger on uh, onto someone else's plate. When you aren't driving defensively, you're basically handing someone else the 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 gun pointed at your head. And so that made that was frustrating to a lot of commercial drivers, taxis, uh, uh, delivery people, bus drivers, mm. is because our vehicles are no joke. Uh, I always joke that the the problem is with buses is they named them wrong. They named them too nicely. Bus sounds nice. It's just a bus, right? Uh, if they would have called it the crush you, kill you, people would treat it a little bit different, right? If mm-hmm. the, uh, now when someone's hit by a bus, they can say, oh, that bus driver hit him. But if they got hit by a crush you, kill you, they'd say, oh, what were they doing? Were they in the road in front of the crush you, kill you? Were they cutting it off? Uh, it's just, it, it's no joke. It's no joke. And people take people in general, not cyclists, People walking, people in cars take more risks around heavy uh, uh, buses because they anticipate that driver's going to account for that. It's a lot of expectations on your shoulder. Yeah. They're really good drivers. They won't hit me. Yeah. I actually see people say that a lot. So, but you noticed, you actually noticed visually from being a bus driver that there was, there were these sort of veteran riders that were more capable Oh yeah, riding and, th- and then these new rides. That's really interesting. Has that changed in the fifteen years? I I think. Did you see those uh, folks no, graduate I, now? I yeah. There's a lot more graduated drivers or riders. Riders, yeah. Uh, uh, there's a lot more designated riding areas, ah, which right. I love. Mm. I love it because I think it sets in people's minds a concept that lasts like beyond a barrier. Some of the bicycle paths have a barrier on them. You have cyclists on one side, cars on the other. Mm -hmm. Even after that barrier is done, there's sort of like this Mm. residual idea. Oh, I should ride like this barriers here. I should drive like this barriers here. So I think that in, uh, you know, people in groups still act like jerks. That goes for everyone. You know, everyone will say, I believe in uh, traffic laws, but stand outside of a blazer game after it lets out and see how many people are crossing the street on a don't walk. They don't really give a right because it's mass groups tend to misbehave. Well, on that note, what about uh, Pedalpalooza? What happens in the summer when you you ever come up on when there's 500 bike riders rolling by? Is that a a different animal? Yeah, they're different. They behave differently and sometimes wrongly to the average commuter going to work, you know? And, and I'm like, well, you know, it's, luckily it doesn't last long. You don't get Palooza all day, True. every day. True. Uh, uh, so I don't mind waiting. But, uh, but when, I, when I think about cyclists, I don't think about the exception like a big group or something like that. I think about just the average I encounter this person. Okay, and I, I want to underline for any... And elected officials, policymaker types, Dan Christensen is saying, he's a, been a, a TriMet bus operator for 16 years, he's saying he really likes physically protected bike lanes, dedicated space for, for bike riders. Lowers his stress, right, Dan? You're yeah, not Yeah, absolutely. Good. Okay, so build more of them, right? Right. Okay. Well, well, what I would say <laughs> is build more of them where there's a high density of cyclists. Yeah, what do you- th- do, do we need that on 122nd out in my neighborhood? No. 
Okay, I'm, do I'm, we need that down by PSU or or in the with between thirty third and downtown? Yeah. Okay. What do you think about those the floating islands now? There's some places where there's any places on your route where you're serving stops uh, without having to go all the way to the curb. Do you like those? I'm just curious. It's a really specific. Oh yeah, like on Division. Yeah, uh, there's there's one on Hawthorne. There's some on like Northwest yeah. 18th and 19th. Have Have you seen those? Those sort of I, floating. I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. I've modular. Seen them. Uh, they're okay. okay. I I. I here, here's what I would say about that is no one set down a criteria to say, we're going to do this. This is what a success of this will look like. And this is what a failure will look like. No one did that. Mm. So it's just more. And there's some people who feel, and maybe rightly so, we just need to do more. But if that more is not effective, if we don't have a measurable metric that is this helping, then we could be spending a lot of money on those and not enough on barriers to protect bike routes. Right. So there's there's protection and safety when we're talking about these infrastructure things between buses and bikes or just streets in general. But then there's also, and I think this pertains to, to busing uh, specifically, there's also efficiency, right? You hear so much about timing and uh, the speed of trips. Um, I'm sure you've heard of that. I mean, that's TriMet's really trying to focus on making service better. And a lot of that has to do with frequency and timing. Um, are, I'm curious if you've, uh, what your opinions are of like their Rose Lane effort. I don't know if you, any of your routes go on those, the, the red painted lanes that the buses or any of the prioritization work they're doing. Do you have any input on that? First, uh, I got, I got out of downtown driving about the time those started. Mm. Uh, I loved them as a, the, especially at choke points. I don't, uh, there's things where, would I want that everywhere? No. W- do I want that at these critical choke points? Trying to get out of downtown and trying to like turn. Like Alder, maybe? Alder, yeah, yeah. Trying to turn off the mall mm-hmm. and uh, trying to get through those areas. Then those work really well. High density traffic, high density pedestrians, high density cyclists. Uh, the one up by the Justice Center, I actually saw an accident that that took a cyclist's life there. Oh, you uh, saw that? Yeah, the, yeah. The she one was, on Main and and Third. Yeah, she was coming down and yeah. the truck turned. Catherine Rickson. Oh, uh, oh, uh, uh, yeah. That was yeah. terrible. So the idea of having designated spots or, or protected spots. But I'll tell you, you know, there's, I, I've, I've seen a lot of changes in how cyclists ride and I've seen a lot of changes in how automobiles and trucks drive. Mm. So, um, uh, but I, I really like the protections. Okay. Well that kind of, that kind of cues up a question that I'm a little bit hesitant to ask, but it might be fun. Anna Reader asked, Reader uh, told me to ask it of you because I, I really don't like to split people up in, you know, what kind of users of the road they are because I know that can, that's a fine line between getting divisive and blah, blah, blah. But I think you and I are mature enough to figure this out. So between those two road users, drivers, and then people on bikes, is there one that makes your job harder, easier? Which, which one is more frustrating to you to drive around? Well, I'm a little biased now because the route I'm on has precious few bikes. Okay. Uh, the few people that are regular commuters out there, I know 
I have nicknames for them. I don't know them. Like they've never got on my the bike riders. Yeah, yeah. I got <laughs> Yellow Top and and Speedo and all sorts of that. But I know this guy knows lights. This guy knows timing. I can pull over here and stop. I know exactly when he's going to pass me on the left. He'll wave. He even has a light that he can move and he'll shine in my mirror. Flash, flash, flash when he's coming by. And I'm like, oh, I like that. I like, so I've kind of got used to the handful of regular riders. You know, to me, to keep my head in the game, I pretend everybody's at the lower end and worse. Hmm. That way I'm driving defensively. I'm anticipating. I'm leaving space for everyone. I assume that this person's the first day they've been on the road, the first time they've been on a bike. I am pleasantly surprised when that's not the case. But uh, I, I tend to get not get in the grouping because then you're lowering your guard, mm. right? And right. you shouldn't do that. You should always say, I'm here, I'm focused. Uh, these people, I'm going to assume they don't know, Right. Yeah, And, and I, when they do, I'm like, I'm the first one to wave or uh, uh, at a light stop and say thank you. Uh, I love it. If there's something you could uh, tell bike riders out there to, you know, uh, do better job at or just keep in mind or is there anything you want them to hear? I would say that. And I, and I used to post this every Friday. I'd say the secret is that we all get home safe. Not laws, not rules, that you get home safe. That's above all what I want for everybody out there on the roads is get home safe. I think a lot of cyclists have that feeling like, uh, oh, of course I do that. I'm the most at risk. But. You got to drive like that. You got to ride like that. You got to walk like that. You got to you got to be defensive at all times and uh, just make sure that it's not a matter of speed. It's a matter of life. That's the only thing I focus on is life and safety on the bus. You know, uh, people say, you know, do you interfere when people do this or that? I'm saying, look, I'm focused on safety. That's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on safety outside of the bus. Um, and that's what really matters. Life uh, on the bus. Life, life on the bus. Life around the bus. It's life. That's very precious. And in, get out and, in, you know, we're getting into the summer times where people really get out and enjoy Portland. That's great. Yeah. Knock yourselves yeah. out. And I, I personally think the more people that are going to be getting on the bus... We're gonna have a nicer. We're gonna have a nicer city, and I hope that a lot of folks that hear this will hop on your bus, Dan, because oh. they're gonna they're gonna get the best experience. I always say, I tell people I don't know if they think I'm gonna be like a Patch Adams on the bus, but I'm really quiet on the bus and focused on my my mission. So I hope they ride my bus too. But don't <laughs> don't expect <laughs> it's anything. It's not a show. It's just. <laughs> Me, like every other driver in the system. You mean the lights don't go down and the little spotlight doesn't no, come on? And welcome nothing. to the dance, dance bus, everybody. You might have seen me on the bike. The my my uh, riders laugh at me because I'm so sort of pedestrian. That's so funny. Okay, yeah. last question here. 
do you uh do you care if people say thank you to to, to you when they get off i have yes and no when they say thank you i always yeah thank you my pleasure that's my tagline but there is a test and this has a horrible name it's called the backdoor test we as social beings don't like to draw attention to ourselves people will walk by me and go thank you up front right that's fine it's quiet no one hears it thank you the person leaving from the back door that yells thank you driver and breaks all the social barriers, says it loud enough for everyone to hear, that person's sending a different message. That's what I count. I count the backdoor thank you because those are somebody going, I, I like all thank yous, of course. It's pleasant. It's beautiful. But that backdoor thank you, when you get the same amount of men thanking you as women, the same amount of uh, Asian people um Russian people, black people, white people, everybody saying thank you from the back door. You're doing something right. They're breaking that taboo and being outspoken in public in front of people they don't know to thank the driver as they leave. And that I count those. I literally have counts of those. It's like I know I'm doing well when those counts are high. Then I'm impacting people because they're breaking those barriers to say thank you so all right that's what i count you heard it folks make sure to thank your bus driver and thank you dan for talking with me today it was so fun my pleasure that was trimet bus driver dan christensen this podcast is a production of pedal town media incorporated thanks to all the subscribers and advertisers who support our work if you aren't one of them already please become one today And if you like this episode, please subscribe, leave us a review, and tell a friend about it. Thanks for listening to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Maz. Until next time, I'll see you in the streets.